Hey, Data Plus Love listeners, how's it going? Uh, this week's episode is going to be a solo episode, which we haven't done since back in summer 22, actually, towards uh, around the end of June. So it's great to be talking with you one-on-one, even though obviously I prefer a format where there's a guest and we can bounce back and forth off each other and explore different ideas. Sometimes it's good to take a little break and slow down a little bit and uh, just enjoy um, slowing down, really. And after this week, uh, with Thanksgiving in the U.S., it's made me think of a lot of stuff I'm thankful for. And one of the things I'm really thankful for is that there's such a robust data community online um, that I first discovered through attending Tableau Conference and then sort of transitioned into interacting with those people primarily on Twitter. Uh, and as we all probably know, Twitter's going through some stuff right now with some new ownership under Elon Musk. And lots of people have strong feelings on it one way or the other. And that's okay. Everyone's entitled to their own opinions and their own feelings. And you know, there's there's lots of crazy stuff on the internet, and a lot of platforms are toxic. I should know. I'm on Reddit. That place is an absolute cesspool. Anyway, since last summer, we've had some really great guests on. You know, Doc Kev Wee, um, Adam Green, Blake J. Harris, Laura Peterson. I had Mark Bradborn back for the first time in a while, as well as several more of my colleagues at JLL, like Brittany Rosenau, Eric Shepley. Sheppy, sorry, Erica, and uh, Neil Richards. In addition to last uh, time's guest, Mark Tossel, who is sort of a bridge between the Tableau and the Salesforce communities, because that's definitely something that we don't really have, that bridge, right? Like people use the hashtag one community, but there's not really one community. I mean, while both communities may hold similar values about, you know, elevating others and helping people learn and that sort of thing, we're really two different communities, but the common element besides obviously uh, ultimate ownership by Salesforce is that, you know, we've got our own sort of norms and customs and that sort of thing. So uh, some of that doesn't necessarily translate over. But I know I'm rambling a little bit here. So let's get back to the idea of uh, community and Twitter and online. So anyway, I know both between sort of the more overt moves people are making towards suggesting people jump over to Mastodon to or suggesting people move into the Data Visualization Society Slack channels um, as a result of fears that either Twitter might go under or unhappiness with Elon Musk's management or fear that there might be uh, more general outrage or hate speak or what have you on the platform. Um, I just have some thoughts, and these are my own thoughts, and obviously I can't speak for anyone else or tell anyone else what to do. But I see a move to something sort of cloistered like Mastodon or the DVS ultimately as like a slow um, entropic death. Uh, and when I say that, I'm thinking of, you know, the gradual decay with nothing new coming in. So when you cloister a community, when you pull it away from interactions with sort of the broader community, not only are you not going to be receiving new members, but you're slowly going to lose members as you do in any community. And that ultimately is the beginning of the end. It's basically an admission like we have reached peak society and we're now on the decline. And I, I generally personally refuse to accept that. And I'm not saying Twitter is the answer, but I'm saying if, if data and data communities are to make any real difference in the world, you know, either personally or professionally, like not everyone is out there to change the world, but you may make stuff and you would like other people to see it and you would like to interact with other people who find that interesting and have interesting new discussions and new ideas. The only way that happens is to be in more places, not less. So if you are feeling ambivalent towards Twitter and no one's holding that against you, 
consider joining more places rather than just a pullout and sequestering into sort of like uh, I heard uh, Kevin Wee compare Mastodon as like a bunker for data people. Because ultimately doing that just means you're slowly going to be disengaging because there's going to be less people coming in. And that's not really what I want to see for people. And it, obviously, no one's telling anyone else what to do. And if you feel like that's the right choice for you, that's absolutely the right choice for you. And uh, I wouldn't begrudge you in the least bit. But I know for me, I want to interact with new and different people. I want people seeing my ideas that aren't necessarily data people or are new to the community. I remember how hard it was when I first sort of discovered the Tableau community, how I didn't know what the norms were or even what the hashtag Makeover Monday meant, which is why I have a thread pinned to the top of my Twitter about some of the most common hashtags used by the Tableau community and what they mean and where they lead you, because it's very difficult to sort of have people discover that there is a community on the first place, but then discover how to interact with it and what there is to do and who the people are and that sort of thing. And if you take something that's sort of open like Twitter, where you can just sort of discover it more publicly and then sort of move it, uh, you know, behind a private wall like uh, the DVS or even more so Mastodon, then not only are, are people going to have trouble adapting and discovering, you know, what's going on there and how, what they could be doing, uh, but they'll never just they'll never discover it in the first place. Like there's not really a way to get there if you don't know that it exists. So that's one of my thoughts on that, and uh, I'll just leave it there. Again, I don't want to tell anyone what to do, but uh, I just I love everybody, and I love um, the difference that this community and the data and Tableau has made in my life, and I would like to see more people benefit from that, uh, not less. Um, so anyway. Having said that, I'm thankful for all of you, and uh, I'm really excited about this upcoming year. So uh, right now, this is the end. Uh, we're coming to the end of the third year of the Data Plus Love podcast, which now means, unfortunately for all of you, that this is an institution. Like, this is no longer rock and roll. This is no longer punk rock. This is now uh, mainstream oldies playing on the air. And while I do have ideas of new stuff we could do, and uh, we had some very successful fundraising on my KO-FI um, including a sponsorship from Data Plus Science to help get me a Camtasia license because I'd like to try some additional content in addition to sort of the normal podcast. It'd be great to do some video stuff out there. It'd be great to uh, do more podcasts with multiple guests at a time, you know, bring back a little bit of liveliness. And I've enjoyed a lot of the conversations we've had recently. I've evolved the format a bit. So we're not where we were when we started um, in terms of how the podcast works. Um, uh, but we're constantly evolving. And mind you, this podcast has a modest listenership. And it probably always will be because it's a niche of a niche, right? It's not a data podcast where you're going to listen to this and learn a new skill that you can deploy tomorrow. It's a data podcast where you're going to hear passionate data people talk about data and other nonsense. And you're going to feel familiar and you're going to feel a kinship. And that's really the intent behind this. And as a result, that's that's just naturally limiting. And that's something I accept. Um, from the beginning, I knew I could chase data celebrities and try to have like a, you know, a big person on all the time. But that's not really what I wanted to do. And that's not, you know. Um, what I think would be healthy for a podcast of this particular format. And unfortunately, to some degree, some of that happens naturally because a lot of the peer group that I was coming up with started to, you know, sort of become more recognized and well-known. So 
like people like Lindsay Betzendahl, who was just a friend, became a Tableau ambassador and then a Tableau visionary. So all of a sudden, someone who was just, you know, a community member like me and you were sort of like ham and eggers out there working. Yeah, started to achieve. And the same thing happened for me. I started to, you know, achieve some accolades and stuff. And it's not the kind of thing that I I would ever use to sort of put myself above someone else, at least not in any meaningful way. Um, but I just want people to know that this is a podcast sort of by the community for the community. And I encourage anyone else to make their own podcast if it's something they're passionate about. Like it's not about competition. Like don't feel like uh, anyone that's doing it now will begrudge you. I'm excited that Andy Kreeble has spun up a podcast recently, and it's a video podcast, a different format, and he's having like some big guests on. And it's pretty exciting stuff, and that's something that's like perfect for Andy, and it's not something that would be perfect for me. So I'm excited to see stuff like that coming from different avenues, and that's one of the beauties about having a larger community of people of varying interests and various talents and that sort of thing, because you're going to get a lot of different stuff, which is always awesome. So having said that, I want to ask you, and this is something where I have a few people who talk to me about the podcast, but I know more people listen and sort of don't react. And that's okay, like to each their own, like you don't have to give me any kind of feedback. Um, but I want to know what people like about the podcast and what people would like to see done differently. Like, are there new kinds of shows that I could be doing? Are there guests you would like to see repeat more regularly? And are there kinds of segments you wish we could bring back? So we uh, did some Ask Them Anything podcasts for a while with me and Mark, where we would uh, bring people on and ask the community to ask questions of, you know, some some of the community leaders. And that was kind of fun. And, you know, I did some uh, Sunday Comics podcasts, which were obviously a vanity project for myself because I firmly believe in the link between visual mediums. Uh, and I did a few of those and I decided not to do them anymore. I didn't hear any feedback and, you know, it was one extra podcast I was cramming into an already busy schedule. So I said, you know, I can afford not to do these for right now, but maybe I'll bring them back at some point. But yeah, I, I like experimenting with different things and I believe in failing fast. So if you have some ideas, I would love to hear them. If you would like to try podcasting yourself, I would love to talk to you about the process. And if you want to, you know, try producing an episode of the show or something, I'd love to let you give it a go and, you know, sure show you the process, you know, to help you get on your own feet. Because I know for me, I had to figure this out on my own and I did some research and I did it, but there's no need to do that. There's other people that sort of came ahead of you that can help explain that. So in the spirit of trying new things, I think I've talked to you before about how I've been teaching with a nonprofit uh, through Emory University called Women in Technology. Um, and I taught with them for several months and they're on a hiatus right now. So I don't actually know if I'll be coming back for the next semester, but it was a really great opportunity, um, both for me to practice teaching, but also sort of to refine what I know about the basics of Tableau and data visualization, because the course is really a crash course, both in how to use Tableau, but also um, why to use which charts, the best applications to use them and that sort of thing. So in many ways, it's a crash course data school. So faster, faster version of the data school. And also in the past few months, back in August, I had the opportunity to spend a week at the data school through my work at JLL. Um, we had data schoolers do projects, and then we actually currently have one of the first New York data schoolers um, working at JLL with us for the next six months as part of their rotation. So that's been a really great opportunity as well. Um, to get to know different groups and practice teaching and getting to know people at different skill levels. Um, and to that end, I have something else coming in the near future uh, that I'm not going to announce at this point, but it, it is along the lines of teaching uh, and because I just enjoy that so much. And 
while my day job at JLL is incredibly rewarding and I like the client work I get to do. I also really enjoy teaching and it's really fun to have different side hustles uh, because I don't know, it's, I, I just find the more that I do, the more that I'm able to do. It's one of those things where in my life, um, when I set up limits for myself, I find that I don't know. I don't do that much. Um, and it's not that like I'm shorting my family or anything. I pick my kids up every day from school. I cook dinner for the girls. I do homework with both my poor dyslexic children, uh, spend time with my wife. It's, you know, I find extra time. My time I would be spending to watch TV in the evening. I'll work on a project or I'll stay up a little later and do something like that. So I, I'm finding different ways to sort of enjoy different aspects of data. And uh, one of those is uh, a more difficult project uh, that I took on recently. So recently I was working with one of my mentees who works at Starbucks now, and he was interested in sort of looking at some school shooting data as it's to a topic that is happening more and more frequently in the U.S. now. And I happen to have a contact that knows quite a bit about that, Max Shatner, who is one of the parents of uh, one of the Parkland shooting victims. Um, so I reached out to Max and asked if he knew any good sources for data. And he directed me to the K through 12 school shooting database, which is hosted by a man named David Reedman, who collects this data and uh, has some, some basic visuals on his website. But up until this point, has sort of kept the data sort of back. You have to request it from him in order to get it. Uh, now, this data has been used by a lot of major news outlets from The New York Times to The Washington Post, NPR, uh, Guardian, USA Today, all, all of them, The Wall Street Journal. You get it. Um, so I was interested in getting this data, so I requested it from him and told him, you know, I would be using it and my mentee would be using it. And I started uh, looking at it myself. And um, it took a while because it's not the most complicated data set, but it's a complicated topic. I mean, it's a really emotional topic, right? So looking at this data, you're you're not just looking at numbers like I'm looking at work orders or you know, pledges or something like that. I'm actually looking at real human lives, in some case lives that have been ended, but in every case, a situation where someone decided to commit an atrocious act of evil. Um, so I'm looking at this data set and I, I start looking through it and I realize that if I'm going to do something about this, uh, you know, with this data, I'm going to have to put in a lot of due diligence. So uh, with some of my colleagues and some of my friends, I bounce back and forth. Um, a lot of the wording I was looking at, a lot of the visuals I was putting together, and I put together a relatively simple, you know, sort of eight visual uh, dashboard that I published online. And I gave uh, back to David Reedman so that he could use it uh, as part of the K through 12 shooting database because he has no budget for, to create data visualizations. And, you know, if it's not a field that you're in, it's not something you're going to really be able to sort of effectively communicate with. So I thought that would be something that I could do. And what I learned through looking at the data, and the first thing was it was difficult to ascertain trends because obviously data is imperfect. Um, there's, you know, inaccuracies. Sometimes more than one thing can be true at a time about a person or a location and that sort of thing. But the big difference I noticed is in the past 10 years, um, yes, school shootings have increased dramatically. That's undeniable. And it's very clear in the data. But the big thing that's changed is the location of shootings. And as we've made an effort to sort of harden schools with metal detectors and police officers and that sort of thing, we've seen a transition with a dramatic rise in outdoor shootings and parking lots, particularly at sort of sporting events and after hours situations where there's less likely to be security, there's more people, 
uh, that sort of thing. And I mean, it makes sense if you're the kind of person that's wanting to hurt people. You want to do it in the easiest way possible where you can hurt the most people and probably where you can get away the easiest. And those are the kinds of things I didn't say when I put this together. What I did say is I pointed out the numbers, I pointed out the trends where stuff was changing and what percent of things were, but I didn't add my own editorial as I often would if I were creating something personal for me or something about movies or that sort of thing. Because I'm not here to sort of, I'm, I'm not here to tell you the answer. And it's a thing where there's, you know, it's a difficult topic and there's not a lot of clear answers. I mean, it, when someone wants to kill someone, it's very difficult to have them not kill that person. You know, we saw that with the uh, the Christmas parade last year where the guy ran over dozens of people and just did trial for it recently. Like, I'm not just saying that, you know, guns obviously don't play, obviously play a role in school shootings. It's undeniable. But when someone wants to uh, commit an atrocious act, it's very difficult for them not to. Um, and I don't know what you do with the problem of sort of you know, broken people, um, mental illness, or, you know, evil, like evil is, is a word I, I will, I will use. And, you know, it's what do you do with the problem of evil? I don't know, I don't have the answer. But I wanted to provide context um, so that people could look at this and understand a little something about what's going on. Um, and that was really difficult for me. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, I really wish I could do more, but I personally can't engage with this data anymore. Like, it's too much for me. Like, I, I can't handle this, you know? It's a lot. So what can I do to sort of help move this along, but at the same time, it's difficult for me personally to continue engaging with this? And I thought of the different things going on in the community, and I reached out to Andy Kriebel and said, what would you think about using this for a makeover Monday? Um, I also reached out to David Reedman, who hosts the database, uh, because in its current state, you have to request the data set from him, and you have to explain what you're going to do with it and that sort of thing. And I explained to him the concept of Makeover Monday and the fact that, you know, many people would be working on this. Um, and that also meant that he was going to have to let up a little bit of control and allow more people to access the data outright. Uh, and Andy was was very much on board. Andy loves, you know, sort of social and, uh, you know, cultural data sets. Um, and uh, it's this week's Makeover Monday uh, for the week of uh, November 28th, 2022. Um and as I start to see some of the visuals roll out, I'm conflicted because on one hand, I was like, yeah, I, I want to be able to create more visuals really quickly so that David can take some of this stuff and use it to help explain, you know, and advocate and that sort of thing. But at the same time, I, you know, I didn't consider... Um, the amount of responsibility it takes to handle this data set, you know, um, because I remember when I was working on it and I probably spent 15 hours overall working on my visual, which it's, it's not that complicated, but the sort of feedback loop that I had and the amount of nuance I wanted to put into it and the sensitivity I wanted to have in handling this, because this is a topic that no one has mild opinions about school shootings. You know, it's like, no one's like, I don't know. I could give or take school shootings. Everyone feels strongly about school shootings, and no one likes seeing children die. And I'm, I'm saying this is apparent. Like, there's nothing worse in the world. Like, it's it's the worst thing in the world. Um, so I see the Makeover Mondays coming out, and I see like ones coming out with like blood splatters on them and stuff. And a part of me like dies inside. 
And I had a talk with a coworker, and I'm not going to call them out by name, not because they did anything wrong, but they're like, you know, you probably should have done it, um, submitted it to like this for social good. And I'm like, I think you're right. Because I forget that with Makeover Monday, so many of the people that are, you know, producing visualizations off the data set are new and they're sort of, they're finding their way and they're seeing a data set as an opportunity to try out a new shape or something like that. And in this case, this is something of like the highest sensitivity. And um, I have seen some good ones and I'm really heartened by that. But some of the other ones I've seen where it's, you know, sort of like, you know, blood splatters and stuff like that. It's, it's so gruesome. It reminds me of, um, Andy Cogreve and I once had a little back and forth on Twitter about there was sort of the Iraq war fatalities, um, viz, which is sort of iconic and it's the red bars coming down and they're sort of made to resemble blood dripping down the page. And Andy was talking about how it's a great example. And I was saying it's, it's grotesque and I think it's, it's wrong. And I think for me, so much of it is because yeah, I understand they're they're using blood as as a way to illustrate the tragedy, but it's like those are real people's lives that are a tragedy. Like this isn't a hypothetical. Like we're not talking about like Game of Thrones. Like each additional length on each of those bars represents a real human life that was lost. It's the same sort of hesitancy like at the beginning of COVID that you know some people in the data fam were advocating like slow your roll before you start analyzing this data because stuff that you're going to make can have a real world impact. And especially if you start talking about like casualties and lives lost and things, those are real people. Like it's not just a dot you put on a scatter plot that that was someone's mom or something. And I, you know, uh, my community has had its experience with this. We haven't had a school shooting, but Last year uh, at our grocery store, we had a sushi chef come back after lunch uh, with a list of coworkers that he wanted to shoot and shot 14 people. One one person died, but, you know, it, it was horrifying. Like, it's, you know, you can't wrap your head around that kind of just act of want and evil. So I don't know, like, this is off topic and this is really bringing down the room and I know that, but I just want to say, like, uh, you know, I'm open to taking feedback and, um, I don't know if I did the right thing. Like, I don't know if it's that it's not the, I don't think it's the wrong thing to make data available. I just don't know if we asked the right people to look at it and Andy might disagree with me and I don't know. And I'm, I'm open to being wrong and I'm open to being uncertain and I'm open to changing my opinion. Um, but in this case, I don't know if I did the right thing. Um, so I'm just putting that out there to be a little bit vulnerable because, you know, you try to do um, do positive things, you know. You try to, you know, a lot of the data analysis I do is strictly for fun. In this case, I thought maybe this could be something useful. And I hope some of it is. I hope a lot of it is. But I don't know. And I would hate for any of the families to see some of those visuals out there that are you know, playing up that angle, like it hurts me inside. And I'm saying this as someone, I worked at St. Jude for 13 years. So I know what it's like to, um, you know, th there were children across the street with terminal cancer every single day. And we were trying to fundraise to, to help them fight out of that. And it's, it's difficult to wrap your head around. It's, it can be a lot emotionally. So having said that, I would love for any of you to take a look at that data set. It's, currently out there on the Makeover Monday website. And I think it's something that, you know, we have to understand what's going on with problems in order to talk about them. And I sort of just reject the outright pessimism that nothing can ever change. Um, 
So um, we this got heavy, right? Like talking about possible fracturing of the community, talking about um, one of the worst things in the world. But I do want to say um, I'm very excited to have you, to have you in my life as listeners, as friends, as colleagues and coworkers. Um, I love the possibilities that data and data visualization present um, for us both personally, professionally, and sort of in a more global and sort of cultural arena. So with that, I just want to encourage everyone, like we all tackle different types of data, both in our uh, professional uh, professional and personal lives, but it, there can be a lot of growth to be found in tackling a subject that you really don't want to deal with. Um, and I can say that like, I spent a good amount of time with this data set and it was extraordinarily personally difficult for me. But at the end of it, I felt like I made something that I was both proud of and also could be used for some good. So I want to say thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back uh, again in two weeks uh, with a more traditional episode. But I wanted to take a break to talk with you one-on-one -on -one, um, in a way that we don't usually get to. So you know, reach out to me on Twitter um, or LinkedIn or however you want to find me. Uh, go to the podcast page on anchor.fm, uh, however you want to interact. And also, if you enjoy the show, um, giving uh, a donation through kodef-fi uh, slash data plus love is great. I love that. Um, it's a real encouragement and it helps me, you know, buy new equipment, um, buy new software, sort of keep up to date. Um, but also consider just leaving a review for the podcast somewhere like either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Or uh, if you have a friend that's into data, uh, recommend it to them. Not, they don't have to listen to the whole thing. Just give them an episode with someone that they might find interesting. Uh, that's the idea. Like, you don't have to listen to every one of these. And I appreciate everyone that does. But, you know, uh, find something that would interest them and plug them in. And I'm trying to have a greater variety of guests. I think uh, the more people I meet, the more interesting ideas there are and the more that I want to know and share. And I want to bring that to you. Like, that's how I learned about data journalism. You know, that's how I... I learned about sort of Blake's uh, approach to writing books and that sort of thing. I learned a ton from guests like Neil. It's it's really cool to be able to do this, and it's an honor and a privilege. And I don't know. I'd be doing it even if none of you were, but uh, a podcast gives me the excuse to get these people to talk to me. So thank all of you uh, for being part of this, and uh, let's keep it rolling, and uh, let's keep going into year four.